Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua. The past three months we've been walking through this historical narrative of God's dealing with the nations of Israel as they took possession of the promised land. Now, there is certainly much more material in the 24 chapters of Joshua than we have covered in these 13 Sundays. So I hope you will return to the book of Joshua over and over again in your private study time. Likely the most famous passage in the book of Joshua is found here in the 24th which says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know many of you know it because I've seen that framed in picture frames on your walls in your homes, seen it even painted in your kitchens. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It has become sort of a de facto motto, I think, for Christians trying to swim against the tide of cultural influence. But there's much more to the 24th chapter. You remember that near the end of his life, Joshua called two separate meetings. The first is recorded in chapter 23 when he called the judges and the leaders of the tribes together. We studied that last Sunday morning. The second meeting involved all of the nation, all the people, as recorded here in our text today, the 24th chapter. And here in this chapter, three great themes of Joshua's preaching emerged. And Joshua, in addition to being the aide-de-camp of Moses and the military leader was also a preacher. And make no mistake, what we read today is a sermon. And we will examine each of these themes of this sermon this morning. And they are the sovereignty of God in all things, our responsibility to obey God, and thirdly, our dependence on God to keep our commitments. And so we'll just divide this up into three or four sections and read each section at a time. I'm going to read now the first 13 verses of Joshua 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and their judges and their officers and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. And then I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought them, excuse me, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness for a long time. And then I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, which I destroyed them before you. And then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam. So he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his hand. 
You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, Gergeshite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and then I gave them into your hand. And then I sent the hornet before you, and drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land in which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Now, our church-wide memory verse this month, you might have noticed in your bulletin, is Psalm 115.3, which says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. That is a very succinct and I think good definition of the sovereignty of God. God does whatever He pleases. And that's our first point, the sovereignty of God in all things. Now you see that they met at a place called Shechem in verse 1. You remember that this was the place that had the perfect acoustics. After they'd crossed originally into the promised land, God had them gather half the tribes on one mountain, Mount Ebal, and the other tribes on the other slope of Mount Gerizim. And in between they built an altar. Now once again He brings them together. He wants them to remember that day when they spoke the blessings and curses of the law. And He wanted them, I think, to rededicate themselves to the promises they had made when they first entered the Promised Land. But primarily, Joshua wants to remind the people of who has done the great things that they've witnessed through these years. As you look back, scan your eyes over those first 13 verses of Joshua 24 and look for pronouns, personal pronouns. And as you do, you'll be amazed at how many of them God says that He did. Number one, verse two, He says, I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. Verse three says, I multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Verse four, I gave Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. I gave to Esau Mount Seir, He says. In verse five, He says, I sent Moses and Aaron to lead you out of Egypt. I sent the plagues on Egypt. I brought you out of bondage. I caused the Red Sea to part. I brought you across the Jordan River. I gave you this land. I gave you cities that you did not build. I gave you vineyards and orchards that you did not plant. So what is the pronoun you see over and over? I. God is speaking. Now if anyone other than God had said these things, it would be off-putting to us, wouldn't it? It would smack of smugness and egotism. But it is altogether right for God to do all that He does for His own glory, because He's God. It would be idolatry for God to value anything higher than Himself, because there is nothing higher than God. Years ago, John Piper correctly wrote, God is the most God-centered person in the universe. But here's something more. God does all the things that He does, many of which He listed on behalf of the nation of Israel. But He does that for all of us. Our friends, it's not just true of His dealings with the nation of Israel, it is true for His dealings with, with you and for me and for this church. Like the nation of Israel, we exist to make much of God's glory. That is why throughout this study, these 13 weeks, I have insisted to you Sunday after Sunday that though this book of the Old Testament bears the name of Joshua, Joshua is not the hero of the book of Joshua. God is. But more importantly to you, if you're born again here today, God is the hero of your story. You're not. What I mean by that is, 
He chose you before the foundation of the earth, before you or I ever drew a breath. He wrote our names in the Lamb's book of life. At just the right moment in time, He sent His Son into the world to die in our place. And at a moment in time, He sent the Holy Spirit to take the gospel message preached by someone that He sent to you and to convict you of sin and judgment and righteousness. Then He opened your blind eyes by His Spirit and breathed spiritual life into your dead soul. And He did all of that, the Bible says, to the praise of His own glory. And so Joshua recognizes that, and every time he stood to preach, his theme seemed to be the sovereignty of God in all things. Now secondly, let us see our responsibility to obey. Our responsibility to obey. Look at verse 14 here in the 24th chapter. Now therefore, and remember we say anytime in the Bible you see the word therefore, you read the verses before it to see what the therefore is there for. And so when he says, now therefore, he says, as a result of what I've said about God's sovereignty, here's how I want you to respond. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father serves which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. By the way, if you read on to the next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, it wasn't so far from them. But they said, Far be it from us that we would do such a thing. Verse 17, for the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our side and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for He is our God. Now they said the right thing, didn't they? The title of the message this morning is Lest We Forget. Now that phrase has been on many of our minds and hearts this week. Probably like you did, several people sent me computer messages, emails, and texts this week attached with pictures from the 9-11 tragedy 17 years ago with the phrase emblazoned on it, lest we forget. We know that we need to remind one another of important truths because we do tend to forget. And that really is what preaching is. That's why I said what Joshua is doing here is, is preaching a sermon. sermon uh, preaching and sermons are, are attempts to remind people of what they already know. One of my favorite verses, every time I think I don't have anything left to say to you all after these years, is, is 2 Peter 1 and 2. Peter, when he uh, was reaching the end of his life, he would preached to the same people many times. He said, therefore... I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. We just remind one another of the same truths over and over because we forget. So what is Joshua reminding the people to do? Well, he says in verse 14, Fear the Lord, serve Him alone, put away idols, he is reviewing for them the first two commandments, isn't he? You'll have no other gods before me and make no graven images. 
Now here's what Joshua knows by context. There are already some in their ranks that are going that way. And that's why he says, put away your idols. He assumes that some of them have them in their tents. Serve God alone. See, Joshua had been doing this a long time. Over a hundred years he'd been around these people. He knew what they were like. He knew their proclivities, their tendencies. And he knows this about the human nature. That man is an inveterate worshiper. Man will worship something. And he began to rehearse some of the things that their ancestors had worshipped. He said, Abraham, who lived down in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, who was the unquestioned father of the nation of Israel, he reminded them that before God called him out of Ur, he was an idolater. He worshipped the gods of, of Ur across the river Euphrates. He said, and once the nation got down into Egypt, some of them worshipped the Egyptian gods. And you studied the Egyptian pantheon in Western civilization. Isis and the sun gods and the Nile River, all the things that the Egyptians worshipped. And, and then when they got out of Egypt, crossed the promised land, lo and behold, they've got their own gods. Molech, who required infant sacrifice and the Baals. And so everywhere they turned, people were worshipping something. And he says, you fear the Lord. You worship Him alone no matter what other people are doing. And then we come to verse 15, that most famous verse here in Joshua. Choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You've seen in these first 15 verses of Joshua, I believe, a microcosm of the tension that exists throughout the Bible between God's sovereignty and election and man's responsibility to repent and believe. And some of you are thinking, now wait a second, Pastor, you just said in your first point that God sits in the heavens, He does whatsoever He wills, and now you're saying He holds us responsible for our own sinfulness. Yes, I said both of those things. And so your question likely is, how does that all work? And my answer is, I have no idea. I don't. I've been studying over 30 years. I can't reconcile those two things in my mind, and so I just let it have the tension. I'm confident God understands it, that, that He says that He chose us, and at the same time He calls us to, to be responsible for our own sin. He holds us responsible. He judges those who will not repent. I don't know how it works. I just know that's what the Bible says. Now, that may sound unfair or even unjust to your ears, you're not the first one to say so. In fact, the Bible anticipates that you're going to have that reaction. Hold your place here in Joshua and turn to the New Testament book of Romans. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, of course, is teaching on the great Christian doctrine of justification. And he's talking about how God deals with mankind through election and also holding them responsible for their own sins. And he comes to Romans 9.14 and he asks a rhetorical question that he knows some in his audience have. And so he just goes ahead and asks the question out loud on behalf of everybody. He says, what shall we say then, verse 14, there is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. Now that is the same Greek word that he uses when he said, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? May 
Genatha, may it never be, it's the strongest negative in the Greek language, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. That's a pretty strong statement about the sovereignty of God. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Now Paul answers the question, is, is God unfair in the same way that God answered Job in the Old Testament, remember? When Job lost his health and lost his family, lost his farm, he came to God and wanted to know why. He wanted to question God, put him on the witness stand. And God answered his question with a series of questions. And he said, Job, where were you when I dug the oceans? Did I ask you how deep to make them? Did I ask your permission to put the beach where I put it? And then Job, of course, was stunned in his silence. He was reminded that God, in this analogy, is the potter, the master, and we're just the clay. He has the right to do with us whatever he wills. That's what it means that God is sovereign. God is sovereign in all things, yet we are responsible to obey him. See, the people that Joshua was preaching to certainly understood this. We know that by how they responded. Now go back quickly to, to Joshua 24 with that on your mind. And in Joshua 24 verses 16 and 18, remember Joshua has just said, serve the Lord alone, put away your idols. Verse, eight, uh, verse 16, the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went among the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he's our God. In other words, everything that Joshua said in his sermon, they said a hearty amen to. We agree with you. They agreed with his historical assessment of how they got there. They agreed that God had done it all and he deserved their glory for it. They even agreed to the terms that he gave them that they must put away their idols and serve the Lord alone. They said, absolutely, no problem, Abraham. Uh, no, no problem, Joshua. We uh, are going to do it just like you said. Now, that leads us to our third point, and that is this. Our dependence on God to keep our commitment to him. Now, these people were sincere. I really believe they thought that, that we're going to do this. But Joshua knew human nature better. Look at verse 19. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he's a holy God. <laughs> that would be the equivalent 
of our ending this sermon today as we traditionally do with a hymn of invitation and calling people to repentance and faith and someone comes down the aisle and shakes my hand and says, I want to be saved. And I say, wait a second. This person says they want to be saved. You cannot keep that commitment. You go back to your seat. <laughs> That's the same thing Joshua did. He says, you cannot serve the Lord for he is holy. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sin. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good for you. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you so that you do not deny your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his inheritance. I think it's obvious that the people were enthusiastic in their response and Joshua seems to pour ice cold water on them. Remember we saw last week as Joshua thought about and contemplated and meditated his own soon coming death. He was a realist, wasn't he? He says, I, I'm old. I will soon go the way of all the earth. Joshua is, was, if nothing else, a realist. He had a firm grasp of the obvious. Verse 19 says, you'll not be able to serve the Lord, for he's holy. He will not forgive. Now, he's not making a statement about God's nature. We know God is merciful and long-suffering and ready to forgive. What he's saying is he will not simply overlook your sin and pretend that it's not there. And that's the idea a lot of people have about our God. That's why he's often presented in drawings and paintings as, as an old man. Because people have the idea that he's this uh, kindly old grandfatherly figure that dotes upon his grandkids and when they do something wrong he just turns away and pretends he didn't see it. Joshua says that's not what God's like. He will not pretend he didn't see your sin. He has to punish all sin. See, Joshua, remember, had dealt with this group of people for more than a century. He knew that enthusiasm for hard things soon wears off. You know this, don't you? You, you get fired up about doing something difficult or hard, and, and then you really put your mind to it, and then before long, you kind of slough off. Because enthusiasm and excitement and adrenaline aren't enough. This is true in the spiritual realm. I remember 17 years ago, 9-11-2001 was a Tuesday morning. The very next morning, Wednesday, our pastor, Dr. Leroy Patterson, called this church family, First Baptist Church of Keller, to a prayer meeting in this very room. That Wednesday evening, we all dismissed all the other activities, and we just had a prayer meeting in this room. This place was packed. 
standing room only. People we hadn't seen around here in years. And I would say they were enthusiastic about the commitments that they made that night. I'm not God. God knows every heart. But I will tell you that it was not very long before we didn't see many of those folks around here anymore. We soon forget. And what was true of Israel is true of us. We can't serve the Lord on adrenaline and enthusiasm alone. We need His help. We need His indwelling Spirit. We need to read His Word, memorize and meditate upon His Word, and have the Word preached to us and over us over and over again, week after week, month after month, year after year, because we soon forget. But there was enthusiasm in abundance that day. Even though Joshua told them, you won't keep this, they would not be put off. They insisted they would obey. So Joshua says, in effect, okay, you be a witness against yourself to the commitments you have made. And then he made a covenant. That is, he wrote out a contract and he made a memorial stone there that every time the people passed by that stone, not only those people, but their children and grandchildren, they would be reminded that they bore witness against themselves that we're going to serve the Lord alone. Covenants are good things. Every person who's been baptized in a Christian wedding has made a covenant. They have made a contract to be faithful to their spouse till death parts them. I was reminded of that just a few minutes ago in our prayer meeting between services. I have four men that meet with me between the uh, first and second service. And among those four men is represented 200 years of marriage. Two of the men have been married over 60 years, one of them over 50, and one of them 30. And that adds up to about 200 years. What a blessing that is to have those kind of men who, who keep their commitments and have for centuries. Did you know that if you're a member of First Baptist Church of Keller, you have made a covenant commitment? Our church has a covenant. I don't know what's happened through the years, but when I was a child growing up in small Baptist churches, the church covenant was prominent. And when I mean prominent, it was under glass, hanging on the wall at the front of the church, five feet by three feet, in font this tall. And every time you walked in the worship center, you passed by it. And every time you left to go somewhere else, you passed by it. And you were reminded constantly of the commitment you've made to God and to follow Christ and the commitment you've made to these other Christians in the context of the, the local church. Covenants are good things. I say that because our staff and deacons have been talking about the church covenant a lot and how we can make it more prominent. How we can remind people more often because we know as Joshua knew about his people that people tend to forget. Not because we want to be legalistic, no. We want to be realistic as Joshua was. So, what happened to Joshua? Like Douglas MacArthur, did he just fade away? Well, we're told. Look at verse 29. Came about after these things, that is, after Joshua had his two final meetings, preached his final sermon. Came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. We saw last week the average life expectancy is 70 years, and if by strength 80, Joshua outlived the average by 40 years. 
God gave him a good long life. And throughout his life, he served the Lord faithfully. May the Lord increase the tribe of Joshua. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north of Mount Gaish. Remember we said last week all the prophecies of God either have been fulfilled or they will, will be fulfilled. Joshua prophesied, I soon go the way of all the earth. And he did go the way of all the earth. He died. Joshua is not God. He was a great man, to be sure, but he was a man. But here's the great thing that Joshua has said of him now that he's long gone. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now I said last week that I have a great concern for the next generation that's coming along because I know that we're only one generation away from this church not being around anymore. That is, everyone in this room, certainly 100 years from now, is going to be dead and gone, probably long before that. So it's so essential that with the Lord's help that we transfer our faith and our values to the next generation. I do spend some time in thought and prayer about that, but I'll say that's not what I spend most of my thought and prayer life in. Most of my thought life and prayer life is concerning this generation. Will we hold tightly to the Lord and His promises and the commitments we've made while we're still alive? Because Joshua knew that was a real possibility in his day, but, but the Lord granted him a great blessing. To the day he died, not only did he serve the Lord, but Israel served the Lord. And even the next generation served the Lord. Now we could read on in the book of Joshua and we'll see that that third generation didn't. And from there it went downhill. But, but my primary prayer, yes, I, I'm concerned. And by the way, every organization that I belong to, every board of directors that I sit on, almost every meeting, something is brought up about the millennials. How are we going to meet the, the millennials? Those millennials, they won't commit to anything. We can't get them to make any commitments in our organization or our church. They, they don't even want to get married. They don't want to make that commitment. Well, first of all, that's not true. There are people in every generation who are just as committed as you and I are. But even if we were given that that, that broad brush there, there's some truth to, listen, God's going to be sovereign over the millennials. We need to concern ourselves, are we serving the Lord in the here and now? And I would pray that as long as I'm the pastor here and as long as you're alive, we would keep our commitments to the Lord. And even after we're gone, that this church would, would keep on serving the Lord. Verse 32, now they buried the bones of Joseph. They, they brought Joseph, their ancestor. Remember, he had been in Egypt. They brought his body with them. They buried him in Israel in a piece of ground which Jacob had brought for the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's son. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him at Gibeah of Phinehas, his son, which was given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Period. Friend, that's how every human story ends that I'm aware of. It has a beginning date, it has a dying date, and it has a period. That's why the Bible is not about us. Our God is in the heaven. 
He does whatsoever He wills. The hero of the book of Joshua is God. He is eternal, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Leaders will come and go. People will come and go. God's Word abides. And so I would say to you, what Joshua said to his people, serve the Lord alone. Fear Him. Put away anything else in your life that is competing for the affections that you owe only to the King of Kings. And if you're here today and you've never bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus, it begins there for you. God will not pretend on the day of judgment that you didn't sin. He will either judge you through His Son on the cross, or He will judge you on the day that you stand before Him, and you will not be able to stand. I plead with you. I call upon you. Call upon the name of the Lord today and be saved. And if you're a Christian here today, and your life has become distracted, you've lost your zeal and enthusiasm, confess that to the Lord and be reminded that you can't serve the Lord with enthusiasm and adrenaline. You have to serve Him by daily dying to self and submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ moment by moment. And if you'll do that, hours will turn into days and days will turn into weeks and weeks will turn into months Months will turn into years, and years will turn into decades, and decades will turn into a life well-lived. I don't know if any of us will live to be 110 like Joshua, but I do know this. The same Lord he served is the same Lord we serve, right? And if he's able to help Joshua, he's able to help us. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Joshua. Thank you for the book of Joshua. Thank you for the man Joshua and his life and the book that bears his name really tell the same story. You are sovereign. Joshua recognized that. He knew that his life was not his own, that he served one greater than himself. He preached to others and reminded them to put away other gods and to fear God alone. He set a good example in his personal life for them. And he lived to be a ripe old age with his integrity intact. May his tribe increase. And Father, I pray for any soul in this room who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray right now that your spirit would draw them, convict them of sin and judgment and righteousness, open their blind eyes, breathe spiritual life, and make them born again. Father, I pray that they would repent, call upon the name of Jesus today. Lord, I pray for any believer who's grown cold in their walk with you, Lord, that you would renew their commitment today. Help them to seek their help in you and no one else. Father, I pray for this congregation, including myself, Father, that we would, for as long as you allow us to live, serve you, and that our children after us would serve you as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.